This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt to Rumpets. How are you, Matthew? I am feeling, well, remarkably well, given the uh, vast amount of partying that took place in my country yesterday. Okay, okay. That's a topic for the Remain Indoors podcast, uh, and we'll certainly be discussing that on Thursday in what I think will be a cooking uh, episode special. So go and check out Remain Indoors podcast. Are you not going to ask me how I am? Well, that was going to come after but then you interrupted me okay, but now me. i will ask how are you spanners oh. how are things over or there across the pond oh don't ask oh don't ask oh honestly i'm not in the mood to talk about it but what i am in the mood to talk about is that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves we aim to bring you a race review before your monday morning commute we might be wrong but we're first If you need F1 news, maybe you can hire Chris Stevens. Hi, Chris. How's it going? Hey, Spanners. I love that eighteen. I love that show. I couldn't remember. You, you think I'm yeah. too young to to yeah. like get the reference, but I love uh, that that show. It wasn't good enough. I was trying to remember the words, something along the lines of "if if you can find him, you could hire the Chris team." That's what I was going for, but I missed it. 
The C team. The C team. We're glad to have you on because we've not been able to have you on for the race reviews. But when you've not been working for Motorsport PR uh, on a news type show like this, we've just grabbed you and I'm, I'm glad. Mm-hmm. So um, how is your PR career going? Is there any chance at all you're about to get sacked so we can have you for all the race reviews in 2021? <laughs> Uh, not so much. Uh, there, there might be a bit of a change in my schedule for, for next year, new championship, potentially a bit of on-site work, which will make a nice change of pace. Um, but um, for the rest of this year, you know, I only have two mm-hmm. race weekends left this season, which is so bizarre given I've worked almost every weekend since the beginning of July. Wow. Um, so I suddenly don't know what to do with myself. There you go. More Chris Stevens for the end of the year. And um, we're going to do our season review after the last race of the year. And we are fully planning a end of year quiz with as many of the Missed Apex crew on uh, as we can fit. And we're also joined by Nick Alexander's moustache. And behind that, making his debut on Missed Apex podcast, Nick Alexander himself. Welcome both. Yeah, it's actually physically attached, so you can't have one without the other at this point. So here you go. That's good. I, di- I didn't know. See, I'm not a moustache guy, so I thought I'd ask and clarify. Well, yeah, you should have seen plenty of moustaches in your time in the Army. Is it just me that thinks he's given Botas a run for his money with that thing? I will say that mine was here first, and commenters in the live chat are already pointing that out, that he clearly must have copied me. Has nothing to do with the calendar. So to talk about Bottas's moustache, he is doing that for uh, Movember, which is raising awareness of prostate cancer. Is that right? Or, or men's health uh, in general? Yeah, men's health in general, mm. particularly um, prostate cancer, mental health awareness, just men not going and getting themselves checked up at the rate that uh the fair sex does. And um, I'm not doing this to raise awareness for those things, but I think it might do that uh, by happenstance and all the better. You're a married man, right? Spanners. Oh yeah. Is the description fairer sex really, really correct? No wives are mean and horrible. They're pretty unfair. All right, let's go on to some news. Dirty news. Wow, the big news, guys, is that Mercedes, AMG, Patronus F1, um, I think I got that name right, are uh, seven times Team World Champions, which is pretty amazing, Chris. It's certainly historic. The commentary team on Sky, I think it was Martin Brundle, suggesting that they are staking a claim to being the best ever Formula One team. And it's so strange for, maybe not for you, but for, for, for guys who've been watching since the 80s, to see a relative newcomer, barring their you know 50s involvement, come in and almost immediately dominate and already be being spoken about as the best F1 outfit of all time. Because it just, it feels like they, they just got here. It's so funny, isn't it? Because when I first started watching Formula One, it was in 2010, which of course was their first year back in the championship as Mercedes, having just bought the championship winning Braun team 
and we all expected, you know, oh, with Michael Schumacher coming back and the, the, the reigning champions, surely they're going to be fighting up at the front. And the best results they got were a couple of podiums with Rosberg, with Rosberg, not even um, Schumacher. So it's so bizarre to to have gone through that little kind of prefix um, era where they're like, yeah. oh, the big plans are coming, the big plans are coming. And you're like, when? When are the big plans coming? And then suddenly they were unstoppable. Haven't they sort of ruined our, our perception of new teams coming in, though? Because, you know, Honda came in with their engine package. Renault came back in as a fully badged up works team. And we keep thinking that there can be another Mercedes story like that. I don't think so, because eight, we're talking about one of the biggest automotive brands in the world. Honda, maybe yeah, that yeah. as well. But even those guys are on a, a different scale compared to one another. Um, and also when they came in, the sport was a lot less complex than it is now. I think it's a lot harder mm. to come in now. Um, of course, maybe for, for teams, once the new rules come in and uh, we have the budget caps and things like that, maybe it'll be slightly easier. But nonetheless, Formula was a lot more complex than uh, than it was back when Mercedes came in. Now, uh, Sandra in the chat room, Matt, has just asked, asked a question. So I'll just I'll just. Um mute this because we're going to have a topic on this later on in the show. Sandra says uh, they they came, Chris, when Lewis arrived. So I think she's saying they became the team they are with the introduction of, of Lewis Hamilton. So the interesting question would be, would they have done just as well without Lewis Hamilton? We are addressing that. We've got um, a spreadsheet started by Ryan Sedgwick. Uh, I'll go into all that later. Yeah, but it's not like Lewis came... I know they coincided, but it's not like Lewis made that team into a, a race winning package because don't forget Rosberg won more races than Lewis in his first year. If I remember rightly, certainly had the upper hand um, in the, in the early stages. Oh, we're going to get emails um, as, <laughs> as you'd expect, but it's, it's, you know, it's not yeah. like Rosberg, uh, you know, wasn't fighting for wins when Lewis was. I fully expect given Rosberg's presence on the team that they would have won the same amount of championships with him as they did with Lewis. I think they won more overall with Lewis than they would have with Rosberg. Okay, so... But, like, the question of who's yeah. better is a separate question as to how good that car is. And by car, I mean both power unit and car together, combined. So, uh, since we're here, since we're talking about this now, I think that Mercedes would have won several championships with just about any driver on the on the grid. Pretty much. Because if you look at their advantage in 2014, 2015, 2016 and arguably this season and last season, there's a lot of drivers that might have picked up a championship in that time. I don't think they'd have won seven, Chris. I genuinely don't. Teams titles, uh, maybe, because let's not forget that um, uh, Ferrari have usually been their closest competitor and they spent a lot of time with with Raikkonen. And um, maybe maybe more recently, it would have been a bit closer. I think drivers' titles. There's definitely a claim to say that if they didn't have uh, Lewis, then uh, they wouldn't have won. Sometimes, I mean, not to mention Sebastian Vettel was um, second in the championship in 2018, if I remember rightly, yeah. and I think 17 as well. I think so too. So you you can you can make a claim for that, but I think constructors' championships they probably still would have won um, seven, which is kind of just a testament to what an amazing um, team they are. So what do we what do we think is happening with Mercedes dominance of F1? Are we seeing I guess the options are are we just seeing a phenomenon 
of a team, Nick? Or are we seeing uh, perhaps competition that's not been able to keep up? Or, or is there a situation where we've got like a Schumacher situation where they have just raised the bar for what a successful team needs to be? Well, it's funny. So I'm, you know, making my debut on the show, of course. And Good I'm luck. Definitely uh, the newest F1 fan of of the bunch. That's uh, nothing to be ashamed of. It's just it's just dates and and facts. So I mean, I've only really been watching Formula One since about the end of 2014. Um, so for what feels like a long time, but especially hearing the way you guys describe it now, it's really just like an era kind of, and you have to think of, um, you know, F1 more on, on the terms of like geological time almost, yeah. almost it seems like, but my, like- my understanding is that Mercedes has really timed it perfectly with the power unit with the change in the regulations in 2014 and that the reason that honda or renault couldn't come in and do the same thing is because that opportunity with everything changing and being up in the air has never been there and maybe we could get that again in the future i think it's timing resource in particular a great leader great drivers and getting the best out of every single member of that team. We talk about how there's 1,200 people that are part of that team, and every single one of them plays such a crucial role. And they do things like just just simply looking after their staff, which is the kind of thing you would take for granted. But really, it's such an important role, (laughs) right down to to the workspace, to to making sure, hey, you don't want to go work for anyone else. And crucially, you don't want to spill our secrets. Chris, that was going to be one of my points. Don't they just seem uh, like the nicest team? Like maybe that is yeah. all like like uh, Matt, you know, sorry, Nick. Maybe it's like a Hollywood thing where it's all smiles to the camera and behind the scenes they're like whipping them with just like spiky branches. But they just seem nice. Yeah, so it's it's a business. It's a company. They have a company culture. And ultimately, company culture is always going to matter for the overall performance of of a team. And it seems like they really do have a good company culture mm. where they collectively take the blame for defeat and they never blame anybody when something goes wrong. It always just seems like they're focused on finding the solution. And they have always been incredibly good at finding the solution incredibly yeah. quickly. And you could easily contrast that to the team in Italy. And that culture is very clearly not there. And it seems like it's always somebody's fault and the heads have to roll. And I think over the long run, those not as good company cultures are never going to perform at the top level like a better culture would. Zero Zero culture blame. They basically, they looked at my marriage and said, let's just do the opposite of that. I I think they, they never stay complacent as well. Whenever they're at the peak, they go, well, how do we get even better? Where are the, the weakest points? No matter how brilliant everything is, what's the yeah. weakest point and how can we make it better? Okay, Chris, we'll answer this from the chat room. Christopher Fonseca, it's easy to take the blame for defeat when you barely experience it. Well, define defeat. Because, well, not winning. Well, the for, championship. for me, it would be any time they don't get a 1-2, which, frankly, they should be. They treat so, it like a defeat. Yeah, yeah. trumpets. Yeah, well, it just just to jump in on the whole culture thing, uh, they very much have a culture where blame doesn't exist, but problems do, and they're and and everyone is expected to jump in and solve them. And they also, 
to my understanding and reading about it, of a culture where anyone can stick their hand up and say, hey, I have an idea for X, and it will be taken seriously and evaluated. It's like they literally went around the world and said, what are the best management practices we can find? And let's just all combine them right here. And that said, I mean, it's not lost on me the irony of the fact that Ross Braun bought what used to be Honda, won a championship with it, sold it to Mercedes. Two years later, three years later, Mercedes makes the power unit, and they have become a force so dominant that Honda, coming back in as an engine manufacturer, has already decided to pack up and leave because they just can't make money at it. Yeah, there's lots of um, lots of things we could point to. But I, I liked Nick's point where he said they have a company mentality and they treat it like any other workspace. And you feel like a lot of the teams have a sporting mentality. That's that's great. It's a sports team. And I'm sure on race day, Mercedes treat it like a sport. But first and foremost, I've always suspected that Mercedes is a engineering firm that runs a race team. And they go about it in an engineering way. Do, do you remember, Matt, you know, uh, Summers talking about they have this whole file drawer of different solutions and different paths and avenues. And as people in 2015 and 2016 were catching up, they could just go, ah, the gap is closing. Let's reach into that drawer of developments and ideas because they are focused as engineers on what is the problem. Now let's set about solving it and, and go for the, the different ways this could be solved. So it feels like a very top-down thing. Uh, someone at the top identifies, oh, we are lacking uh, downforce points in medium downforce corners. Uh, Derek, you and your team, you go and work on that problem. Actually, also, Phil, you and your team, you work on that problem as well. Uh, so the guy at the top isn't like Adrian Newey in there with a vis complete vision, you know, like Steve Jobs. It's a guy who's just identifying problems and then tasking people to fix them, and they have the budget and the manpower to do it. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that to an extent. Um, but they also are, are going to run the kind of meeting where the intern can raise his hand and say, "Oh, you're working on this problem." Well, you know, it turns out twenty years ago another team solved it this way, and then that would be taken seriously and evaluated as a possible solution. So, I get the engineering thing, and um, there is I will. I hate to plug other publications, but I will mention the race. And I believe it was Scott Mitchell has done a lovely series on the rise of Mercedes right now, in particular, some very fascinating stuff about the development of the power unit. I think they have raised the bar, though. That's a crucial yeah. thing, because I think you used to be able to get away with not being perfect. And uh, it's, I think even 10 years ago, there were what we would look at now as kind of like quite big problems within teams that were winning championships. And uh, you, you just can't have that these days. All right, Chris, answer this. Answer this okay. from James Wingfield. Actually, no, this is for you, Nick. Uh, James Win Wingfield, um, caterham driver extraordinaire, joining us in the live chat, says, um, in my opinion, Nick, he didn't say that, but I'm adding the aggressive Nick. In my opinion, Nick, uh, the power unit advantage in 2014 gave Mercedes a great buffer to allow a softer approach with less pressure to be perfect and that has since built the dominating culture. Like, did they just get such a huge head start that, you know, it's crescendoed from there? I think there's definitely something to that. You would be at the risk of kind of dismissing their success. Like, oh, well, the engine was just yeah. so good that they didn't do a good job. But as we've covered extensively on the show, if you have 
extra power, you can literally power through aerodynamic problems and cover things up. And so if you haven't got it all figured out, but you have that big of an advantage, you can you can get by and figure it out later. And when we've seen teams struggling with horsepower, what's the first thing we've seen, Matt? We've, we've seen them strip back the aero. Uh, obviously, very recently, we've had Ferrari uh, in the back end of last season running low downforce packages. Oh, no, we just think that's the better way to go. It's not because we've suddenly been put under pressure by technical directives uh, launched by by Red Bull and then stamped by the FIA. And we also saw it with Red Bull as well when they were struggling with the Honda power unit they really suffered from that culture of, well, we can't do the aero things we're so good at because we're lacking the power. And as Nick says, you know, Mercedes just had enough horsepower to to do what they wanted. Yeah, but it's not the complete story. It's not just that they had the power unit. It might have been the first year, year and a half. But they also had the team to develop around and with the power unit to continue keeping it just light years ahead mm. of any other competitor. And and that's not it's not to say one or the other, but but they work in tandem. And I don't want to um trying to think of the right word here. I don't want to short the Mercedes team and and aero and you know mechanical development, chassis development at the expense of the power unit. But yeah, it, more power does cure a lot of woes. The the rest of the car shouldn't be kind of ignored as well because it was pretty exquisite in in 14 15 16 as well it's not like they got to monaco and suddenly they were the fourth quickest car they were quick everywhere because the car works everywhere and that's the mentality that they've uh, maintained i think because we always see all oh, red bull are quick at a couple of tracks ferrari are quick at a couple of tracks mercedes on their lowest day are like third uh, we forget yeah in 2013 they were on pole by like eight tenths and they were just falling back in the race yeah. And th- they that chewed was, up the tires. Yeah, and that was the famous um, silver buses comment from uh, Sebastian <laughs> Vettel uh, after uh, the Monaco Grand Prix. Until the super duper secret tire test that we don't uh, we we don't mention. No, because that. <laughs> well, we could. I mean, if anyone wants to make a point about that, email us. Get in contact. Spannersready at gmail.com, dot Apex Podcast at gmail.com, at Missed Apex F one on Twitter and at Spannersready. DMs all open. Uh, get in touch with us. Uh, but yeah, no, um, they had a very, very quick car then. And I, I had a dream midway through that season where uh, my wife solved the problem of why they couldn't manage their tyres through the race. And uh, and it was and she was just in the dream. My wife said, oh, it's ride height. So that's what I think. I still think to this day, 2013, they just had the ride height set incorrectly. Nick? Oh, growing back a little bit now, I wasn't trying to take anything away from the aerodynamics department or anything like that i it kind of got the i kind of got the impression that matt was trying to like argue that i was i I, stand up for yourself full 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 credit to (laughs) the whole team but having the power unit is really first things first and it did give them a head start well one interesting thing if we're going to talk about the power unit a brief bit that i did learn and i would love to share with our listeners and viewers is that mercedes in their quest, I mean, they they were looking at in July, uh, before the regulation change, they were looking at they were beginning to get scared. Like they we were like, how many engines and parts are we going to have to bring to take care of all the teams we promised to take care of? Because we have an engine right now that that won't run; it explodes itself. And so what they did was they actually built three different engines. They built um, a performance engine, 
that that was only for their performance testing that was completely unbreakable, made out of massive parts. You just could not destroy it no matter what you did. They built a reliability engine that was the exact opposite of that. And then they built a hybrid engine of the two. And they actually carried out parallel development. And that is how they came to the solution that they showed up with in Australia, or even sooner in Barcelona in testing, that wound up just being so, so far ahead of everyone else. It's, it's a really interesting story. Yeah. Thanks for that, Matt. That's, that is interesting. Um, we should, you should delve into that with Summers on a tech time. Can we do that? Can we hook that up? Um, we've been discussing doing one this week, yes. Oh, for a second there, I thought you were going to say, we spoke about that on the last show, and I was going to have to do like a massive backtrack. Oh, yeah, no, I know, I know. I meant something different, Kofefe. Uh, I, did, I did completely miss that opportunity, and now I feel sad. Okay, um, in the chat, uh, lots of people here want to make this a Hamilton conversation. So, uh, Pete suggests when Hamilton joined, the tyre problem improved. Coincidence? Uh, I, I don't think that's the case, Chris. I don't think Hamilton it's solved false. it. Don't, yeah, he, he struggled with those tyres as much as Rosberg. He did. He he struggled more because I think Rosberg had kind of gotten used to it. It wasn't a new issue in 2013. Um, I remember in Texas, the first year they went there in 2012, track brand new surface and they brought the hardest tires so nobody could like generate any proper tire temperature. Mercedes were the only team telling their drivers to cool the tires down. So it, it was a longstanding overheating issue and um, certainly not one that suddenly went away mm. because Lewis joined the team. All right. That's enough of that. That's enough of Mercedes. Well done, Mercedes. You're the champions again. Well done. I'm sure they're listening. I'm sure they've been listening, Matt. They've been tuning in. They've been going, when are Missed Apex going to congratulate us on our seventh World Constructors Championship? Well, I've done it. I've done it. But that doesn't take away from the recent issues with uh, barge boards and end plates being stuck in things. Valtteri Bottas, collector of things, going round the track, stealing bits of your wing. Young Tafosi are told tales at night that if they don't behave, Valtteri Bottas will sneak onto your track and steal bits of your wing and then hoard them in his barge board. (laughs) And it's a national holiday in Italy. But I believe you have more details about last race out. Well, it's not so much that per se. It's that um, unusually for our friend Valtteri, he, he's been vocal about um, his irritation because he does believe that that barge board, um, that in plate that was left on the track by Sebastian Vettel after he played tag with Kevin Magnussen's side pod <laughs> yeah. in Tosa, um, cost him a real shot at winning the race. Now, I don't think anyone believes he's going to beat Hamilton to the championship. But if you're if you're Valtteri, if you're Botas and you're thinking, here's a shot, I've got pole, it's on a track. I'm away, I'm in the lead, and lap two, you run over a piece of debris, and then it ruins uh, your entire race to the point where Mercedes engineers immediately see it. His point would be, why were there no yellow flags for that debris? Why was it not collected? And if we just go on a little bit to make it a bigger topic, we can talk about why we had all the lapped runners running around on track with Marshall still on track and the fact that the FIA has actually said they're going to look at it. And we have a couple more incidents that we can bring up as well that are just raising some basic safety questions here. I 100% agree. He probably would have won that race without this 
this huge bit. Did you see the picture of the Mercedes guy holding it up? It was the size of like an average man's chest. It was so much better. I didn't realize the front wing end chest. fences were so big. And I think if you watch the team radio video uh, that, that came out afterwards, um, they, uh, Vettel says, oh, I've, I think I've lost a bit of my, my front wing. And they say, yeah, but on the numbers, it looks fine. How can a piece like that be? Oh, yeah, no, th- yeah, no big thing. The cars are enormous, aren't they? I mean, they've just get they've just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm surprised yeah. that you're surprised how big the piece is actually, because I feel like I am so tired of hearing Martin Brundle compare <laughs> the footprint of the cars to a modern American SUV. Yeah. But they they are they have the footprint of a modern American SUV. They're they're enormous. From Martin Brundle's point of view, though, you know, he was an ex-Formula One driver in the time, you know, he spent decades in and around Formula One as a driver, and then he's watched it evolve. And this was quite a jarring shift in size. So, like, you know, if you were a horseback rider, I think they're called horsey people, horse people, horse people, of course, um, and and then suddenly the horses doubled in size and you were a commentator, you'd spend the whole time going, oh, my goodness, look at the size of those horses. So I'm just defending him a little bit. You know, there are different sizes of horse. No, explain more. No, no, no. We need a whole different, uh, a different podcast. I was just going to say, I've started playing uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 <laughs> and I've learned more about horses than I ever planned. All right. That's a tangent I didn't think uh, we were going to go down. Matt, I think the, the broader point on that topic that immediately struck me was questions around race control. Um, there were some very, very serious issues there. So Bottas, in particular, is talking about the lack of yellow flags because that affected him directly. Obviously, Brad mentioned on the race review uh, about uh, Stroll driving and unlapping himself with Marshall still on track um, and then them going at full speed. And it it did look bad. We We have to remember that we have a new team in charge at race control, a relatively new team. So to some extent, there are going to be changes and there are going to be things that slip through the net. That did, that did feel like a big, a big one. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, it, it was. And in fact, I believe there were a wave double yellow flags before the corner where the marshals were. And various drivers slowed for various amounts of time. But it just seemed really dangerous. And then, you know, I was trying to think of other things. And I'm remembering the, I'm remembering the uh, rolling restart at Mugello, the notification, and the fact that they let the gaps get so big between the cars contributing to the, um, well, since no one was hurt, can I just say delightful chaos? Is that reasonable? Yes. I won't get in trouble for that. I hope not. Um, and we've had other incidents. Uh, on Reddit, there was a post about from ZYXWL2015 about Kvyat finishing the Portugal GP, Portimao, with no seatbelts attached and having a conversation with his yeah. race engineer about it and being told, well, let's go on. And then there's Leclerc with his seatbelts as well, driving around the track. And it just, it seems like, especially in this year, and I will give them the benefit of the doubt because it is a very strange year and a lot of normal things are not happening. But given the benefit of the doubt, it seems like they need to sit down and have a look at this. I've had my hand raised for about 20 minutes to move on to the seatbelt discussion, but there's no need. Matt will just get there eventually. <laughs> if, you just, if you just let him keep going, he'll just keep going through the show notes. It's actually a really valuable skill in a podcaster or a radio person. You don't want dead air. You want to just keep going. But no, so it's a new safety team sure whatever when to do a yellow flag whether or not to allow cars to unlap themselves those seem like little maybe nuances maybe things that you perfect over time but seat belts can <laughs> we all agree that you have to wear a seatbelt in a motor vehicle a, a riding lawnmower a yeah. go-kart a freaking formula one car mm. i well, firstly clunk clip click every trip that, that's that's granted. Uh, we'll pick you up, though. Go-kart, you don't wear a seatbelt. Yes, you do. No. Not here. Are you supposed really? to? Really? Is that a thing? Are we, like, nuts? Yeah. Trumpets are saying, yeah, you wear seatbelts in the U.S. for go-karts. Uh, I've not been karting in the U.S., but I've only been karting over there. <laughs> no, you never wear a seatbelt. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, no, they don't have them. I mean, I would take oh, it. Well. If there was a seatbelt, Nick, I would definitely put it on. I just, I've taken for granted. No, go-kart, you don't wear a seatbelt. Right. So... You would put it on because yeah. it would secure you to the seat, and I feel like it would make it easier to control the car. And I think this is why Kafiat came in 19th in Portugal when Gasly came in fourth or fifth, I think it was. And I couldn't find a reason anywhere why Kafiat was being lapped by his teammate. Oh. And it was because he was bouncing around in the cockpit on the radio to his team, complaining that guys, my seatbelt is undone again. It's not safe. And they told him to stay out. And I think that heads should roll. I am go. I am not going to sit on the fence. I'm going to take a stand on this that like, you should have to wear a seatbelt. Okay. Matt, is this right? What? I've not heard this. Yeah. This is the Reddit thing that I, I was establishing. And oh. I actually, I want to ask Chris a question because you and I both oh, covered oh Formula E and I'm remembering there was quite a deal about when they had to change cars some people with the seatbelts doing some quick release stuff and they were all over that and said, no, you absolutely cannot mess with the seatbelts at all. Am, am I remembering that correctly? So I think at one point they started installing cameras above uh, the cars in the, I don't want to say garage, more of a tent um, for most of the races anyway, um, to make sure that they were 
um, securing themselves properly before they were released because we had people uh, just kind of like, oh, okay, well, it's clicked in. And then just while you're going down the pit lane, just do them up um, properly. And uh, we, had, we had numerous penalties, numerous retirements because of it. So to save emails, lots of people are pointing out that if you crash in a go-kart because it has no roll cage, you are better off being flung out of the go-kart. Kind of makes me not want to go karting anymore. But yeah, you're right. You, you are better off just being away from the car if it rolls. Well, that sounds like 70s F1. The car is going to explode, so you want to be ejected, right? But we've come a long way for, from then, and the cockpit is incredibly safe and secure as well, long as the driver yeah. is, is in it. We're, attached we're getting restrained. Into, we're getting dangerously close to uh chipotle way south park territory you guys might want to uh, research that but uh right so it's interesting we, we've had drivers affected like kevin magnuson affected by discomfort in the car and we seem to be hearing about it more uh this season lewis hamilton affected as well in the last grand prix an issue with his seat moving around so interesting to to get an insight into you know the struggles of driving an f1 car if you're not strapped in securely with everything working properly you can lose performance um someone in the chat room cruelly suggests it's patrick um nick nick says patrick is it not more to do with kviat just being a bit rubbish i don't think that's fair at all patrick i think kviat's very fast where did he finish last weekend i'm gonna guess fourth Yeah, he went from 19th to 4th in a week, but I'm sure it's nothing to do with any mechanical problems. He's just completely changed overnight. (laughs) He had an amazing start on the restart on a track where you're not supposed to be able to pass, and he used those new tyres fantastically. Okay, may I remind you of Baku in whatever year it was where Sebastian, uh, you know, literally pulled alongside Lewis and, and just drove into the side of him? You remember that one? And then... He got the penalty, but then Lewis didn't win the race. Why? Headrest. Because his headrest came loose and yeah. he had to come in. He got the black and orange meatball flag and had to have it fixed. They used to care about this kind of stuff. And now I don't know if they're just completely missing it or what, but like this is not acceptable. I do not want to see a driver ejected from a vehicle. You may be onto something there with fewer personnel at the track and in race control, they may be missing some of the yes. messages that they formerly yeah. had the personnel to catch. Chris? Yeah, uh, my point exactly. I mean, I'm not even sure before how many people they would have monitoring every single radio communication. Um, you know, clearly there's somebody for the broadcast team um, looking out for highlights of what to, to put out there. But yeah, you would think that somebody at race control has got to be listening to every communication. If we know anything about Formula One, it's that you can punish people so much later than the race that it's not even funny. Like we've, compl- <laughs> I've complained at least a lot before that. Like sometimes you don't even know the actual end result of qualifying or the race because they investigate after and all that. But like there's team radio, Daniel's on the radio saying, my seatbelt's not done. It's not safe. And it's on video. It's on audio. Crucify the team, punish the expletive out of them calm down calm down boo who you had to wait half an hour to see <laughs> the qualifying result i worked in formula e where we would be six seven eight hours one time after the race not knowing who had won yeah. All uphill right. both ways in the snow yeah uh, matt um well in the chat room lgh uh jetma says here on youtube you can find the driver briefing with charlie whiting and mm. Hamilton versus Massa about undoing the seatbelt after the race while waving to the audience. So that right. suggests to me that it probably 
has in the past been taken very, very seriously, even on things like the cooldown lap. So whilst I think we're all bringing up really valid points, I think we do need to really glom onto the point that Matt made about the fact that this is a very different season. There is restrictions on what they can do with marshals. And remember, we were in doubt whether the season was going to go ahead at all. And we were discussing that, you know, in previous years, they had a GP or uh, sorry, a doctor at every single marshal post, which I did not know that there was medical professionals at every marshal post. They have had to make massive compromises to get this season up and running, and presumably they all agreed. So all our conversation, all our concerns is in context of that. So just making that clear. Um, But yeah, definitely something to be looked at. Matt, I'm playing a bumper, just so you know, just so you don't say stuff. Yes, that's right. I'm blaming you for all of it. And people will only, they'll only remember the last thing. They won't remember the nuance of what happened on that last bumper. They'll just remember that I said that you were wrong and I was right and that I won that argument. I won it by a lot. Well, only if you say it at the very end of the show, which is where I'm going to say it. Oh, okay. We'll fight that battle when we come to it. The battle that the teams had to fight recently was, can you prepare for a race weekend over two days instead of three? We covered a little of it on the race review from a viewer point of view and what we thought of it, uh, you know, watching it and being robbed of Friday practice. I missed Friday practice. It's become such a part of my race weekend as a viewer. I will watch one of the sessions live on TV if I can. I'll have it on while I'm working. I plan my work schedule around Friday practice. And if I'm doing a task that means I I can't watch it, I will listen to uh, Jack and Jenny and Jolien on the BBC. Oh, they're all Jays. I only just noticed that. Jack and Jolien and... um, and, um, and uh jenny Jenny. and they're fantastic they do a fantastic job covering especially on that radio audio only format but it has become such a part of my fridays i genuinely missed it we've kind of covered that but i think now we can talk about well how did the teams react to it now that it's done well happily enough this turned out to be a thing that they wanted quotes from so we have uh, a couple uh from otmar safnauer safnauer he's he Safnauer, I'll say it right the third or fourth time, maybe. Um, Saying it's not Formula One. They didn't like it. He thought he would like it, but it just felt wrong. And they don't feel like it hands any kind of advantage back to the midfield or the smaller teams versus the larger teams, that it's going to be the same thing. They have the advantage in wealth and power and resource, and they will simply extract their performance. Yeah that way um williams was a bit more ambivalent you know, like yeah it's one of those things everybody has to deal with it so if that's what they want to do fine uh but interestingly mclaren was kind of all about it they liked it they liked the challenge of it so so we have some different inputs from the teams and be curious to hear what our panel thinks was it really for the midfield to give them an advantage I don't think anyone thought, hey, we're going to go to two-day weekends and suddenly uh, Racing Point are going to be challenging Mercedes for wins. I don't think anyone thought that. Um, I love the fact that it's an additional um, challenge. I think uh, one not unfortunate side effect, but one side effect will be they'll invest even more in their simulations, which are already an integral part of a race weekend preparation. But it's like when they got rid of in-season testing and private testing. Uh, and and they're even you know limiting uh, official preseason testing now. 
So uh, you, they they put more and more and more into the simulation tool. So they'll they'll end up spending more money on that. I'm not sure if I gleaned from that what Chris's opinion was. It sounded like fence sitting to me, but it sounds like <laughs> we run the gamut on what the opinions about this format are. So it sounds like Spanners was affected, didn't get his usual TV viewing. I don't religiously watch all the practice sessions, and I actually really liked that it was only one because it felt like, okay, I'll just tune in for 90 minutes. I'll see all of practice. I won't miss anything. These 90 minutes are more crucial than the other ones, and I'll make sure that I tune in. Right. So what we're really doing is we're rehashing the discussion we had last week. Yes, it was great to see all the cars in the single practice versus like the occasional cars spread out over all the practices. Yeah, it's a problem for the promoters. But the real issue here is how the teams react to it, whether or not it can be made to work economically for the promoters from a business point of view. But from a team's point of view, the advantage or disadvantage to me, the point being missed is if it's all two day weeks, then yes, I think the big teams retain their advantage because, as Chris says, they'll spend more on simulators, they'll spend more time laser scanning the track, they'll do the things they need to do to have the advantage that they want to have locked in because they're the ones spending the most money. But if the format changes, if it's not consistent, that's when we as viewers get the biggest chance of an upset or an unusual result, and that's when the smaller teams will have their biggest chance to actually take advantage of something that the bigger teams might have missed because it's not something they're used to doing. And I think if we're looking at a two-day weekend, it's not going to be every weekend. It's going to be only when we want to add a track that's extra that can't afford a traditional three-day pay packet for Formula One. And so it's never going to be an all-the-time thing. Okay. So I'll... I'm sorry that I expressed my personal opinions about practice because we've already rehashed that. So I'll get back to what the teams think, how it affects the teams. The personnel that have to travel all around the world and trying to have more races on the calendar and all that kind of stuff, I think having um, some of these two-day weekends will really help with that and morale for the people that work in. Why why is Chris shaking his head so hard? What have I said that's... Having a two-day weekend will make zero difference to the personnel. You're on a back-to-back. You are only traveling in that period. Between Portimao and Imola, they were just traveling. It's not like they go home and then they come back for the next... And even if it's not a double header, they get oh, they get one day uh, at home. Now, I'm, that's going to maybe total up to an extra yeah. 10 days at home. See, I, I, I wonder, I'm not an F1 guy, but I have had jobs where you have to be away a lot. And when I had jobs where you have to be away a lot, that my life allowed that. And then when I decided I wanted to be at home more and have a family life, I went away from jobs and a career where I had to be away a lot. Like, is it unkind, Chris, to just say, well, if you want to be in an F1 team traveling around, you can't then go, oh, yeah, but I only wanted to travel 180 days, not 102, not 210 days. I know exactly what I signed up for when I took the job I have now. I consigned myself to working weekends to be on site, working events, unsociable hours. That's the job. So, so I think, and I think most F1 team, please r- r- get in touch with me. I won't say who you are. I won't say your name or anything. Get in touch with me if you if you think the increased schedules of, of recent years have really affected you in a way you feel is unfair um, and in a way that you feel that you didn't sign up for. Chris? 
Now, 23 races <laughs> in a season, that is too much. Two-day weekends, give give or take, I don't really care. I don't think it'll make a difference. Nick? Right, it's, yeah, you're saying they, they know what they signed up for, but then the schedule is expanding. So mm. they, they yeah. didn't sign up for it. But the they def- they definitely didn't not- sign up for 25 race weekends, which we're eventually headed for. Certainly. So you would hope, Matt, that with increased revenue from increased tracks those tracks are are paying to host those races and they have their ticket gates and that's how they pay for it you would hope then that a team would have more of a budget and the budget cap would allow for those teams to just hire enough staff to have a rotation it happened in the premier league when the prem when we started uh doing european competition again top english soccer clubs had to start doing team rotation and you had to accept that your ticket didn't mean you were going to see your star striker uh, every week, sometimes he was going to have to be rested for um, a league cup or for a Europa League qualifier. Yeah, and and this is the thing. Ultimately, more races means more money. More money for Formula One means more money for the teams, which means they can afford the personnel and they can afford the transport. I mean, no, they didn't get any race because of the way the races were scheduled. But if you have um, if you have a double header. In the second race, you get an extra day of rest in between it. Well, then that that does become, I think, a bit more meaningful if you're one of the travel personnel. Mm. And and this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to thread that needle. And this comes in light of the fact that they lost $104 million over the last quarter compared to a $32 million profit the year before. So... You know, I think they're going to just do what they have to do to try and keep the sport from, you know, utterly sinking. Chris, last topic on this subject, and we fully understand and we accept we don't know what it's like to be, say, for example, a family man in F1. And I would love to hear from anyone in the teams if they want to email me. Guaranteed, I won't say your name. Uh, Make up a fake Twitter account and DM me uh, at Spanners Ready, Chris. So they want to have the teams have more money so that they can employ more stuff to have a rotational team, but they're going to take away all the team's money because of cost capping. Yeah. Well, it would have to be reflected. If there was more races, you're going to have to reflect that in the cost cap. Surely Matt last point on this. Yeah. But the cost cap is very specific as to what's being capped. A lot of the things we're talking about transportation and stuff like that will fall outside of that budget. And again, if you're a team getting more money, this year than last just because of your basic participation in the sport well then you can afford to spend some of it on getting your personnel and having the personnel you need to do a good job when you're there on track oh well matt bit of housekeeping i found a super good tactic to get itunes reviews it was by accident but um i'm gonna claim i did it on purpose like a genius oh was it was it that video of you crying in the closet again I thought that was on private. I didn't realize it was set to uh, a public YouTube video. Uh, No, I mean, I got a bit frustrated after the last week with the race review and the the show with Joe and with Lindsay. We got a very, very high volume of feedback. A lot of it was really, really lovely. But as is the case with these things, the, the ones that were very critical and quite mean, they were just a bit mean. You're all poopy heads, the mean ones. The volume of them got to me a little bit and I ended up responding to ones I shouldn't have responded to, posting on Twitter about some of the things that came through. Um, 
all lessons learned. You know, in the end, those people, yes, you did succeed in make me, making me feel a bit bad. I felt a bit bad, you bugger. Uh, but they've succeeded in hardening me to those as well. But a wonderful side effect is lots of people saw the bad iTunes review I posted and posted some amazing iTunes reviews, Matt. Ah, so you're saying be controversial, invite mm. bad opinions, say stupid things, and then have your audience rescue you? That's the plan? Yeah, look, it's it's hot take culture, isn't it? It's hot take culture. We get rewarded for doing big, bad, hot takes. And there's whole F1 media outlets that have figured that out and just go, oh, this is rubbish. That's terrible. F1's terrible. Boo. This is the worst. And you know what? It works. They're super successful. Yes. Well, I can personally say I've never gotten into an argument on Twitter with someone about something stupid. No, not me. <laughs> not never. Never me. Nope. Not me. Uh, Hansink says, "Did you did a Valtteri, didn't you? Super interesting. Me and Joe were talking about it. Even Valtteri Bottas is in his Instagram comments having a go at people. His whole to whom it concerns was uh, uh, just like ordinary Joes like you and me, Nick, making Instagram comments. It wasn't to an agent or anything. It's not just him. It's uh, Fernando Alonso, yeah, as we yeah. have covered in the past. And um, we know that Roman Grosjean and, and I believe also Lance Stroll have openly said that some of the criticism on, on the internet is, mm. it, you know, it affects them. And I only get a tiny fraction of that. And people always say, oh, just ignore it. And I go, I definitely would have said just ignore it. So, you know, well done to anyone who tried to upset us with a uh, uh, a poopy head review. It worked. Like, it's cool. You can totally do that. And it worked. But we're getting better. We're getting more resilient. So in a way, you're making us stronger. So thank you for that. But the, the, the reviews that came in, Matt, awesome podcast. The only one I don't end up shouting at. Well, you might be on your own there better than Glee, because a lot of people do say they shout at us. Um, unless someone is doing wrong during whose fault is this? And I love that. I love whose fault is it, because we come up with opposite sides of the fence and inevitably we're going to upset anyone at someone. But that is the point, Nick. That is the point of whose fault is it? Oh, yeah. We would never do that for the sake of argument. All of the beliefs are sincerely <laughs> and deeply held. Some people might decide to exaggerate their side if they feel their side isn't being represented. And that's fine. It's made up of genuine F1 fanatics, says Better Than Glee. No journos moaning about the way drivers answer questions. They don't follow the trend of calling every race boring if more than 12 cars finish. Trumpets plus tyres equals true love some awesome content no naughty words or inappropriate tires either and then just thank you as well to uh lee olds anola thank you very much and for fernando's champ as well who says well informed well varied and well funny chat so thank you very much Th those comments uh, those itunes reviews and the wonderful emails we get far far outweigh any negativity we get as well and let's just all work towards making the world a slightly nicer, lovelier place. We can each only control a little tiny slice of the pie. And thank you to the people who decided to make our lives and our project a little brighter. All right, Matt, talk about the money thing. Talk, go on then, it's all right. Oh, yeah, Formula One made a profit of 4.67 gigahertz and transported back to 1979 and their mom hit on them. Well, I, I kind of already did. I mean... The, the the nut is they've lost a tremendous amount of money compared to last year. It's not really surprising because they're not getting the TV money that they got yeah. on the same schedule, schedule, if you prefer, that they got. They're having to pay to have some of these races at some of these tracks. They're not getting paid to run them there. 
Um, but my point or looking at it is I'm surprised that's all it is. I, I think whatever else you're going to have to say about Liberty and the way they're running the sport. And, and I think mm. there's some pl- plenty of fair criticism uh, for them out there that in this crisis, they have done a remarkable job of, of putting a season of racing together and, and saving the sport from what I would have seen at the beginning of the year or at the beginning of this crisis is, is almost a certain financial collapse. I, I, I didn't think we would get this amount of races in. I was really, really skeptical when they were saying, oh, we're going to have a 17, 18 round championship. From that point of view, they have done uh, an incredible job as Matt Trumpets takes a glove, glug from an enormous glass of whiskey. That is a large pour you've done yourself there. No stingy barman uh, <laughs> uh, being uh, being tight with their optic glass there. Um, how does that affect F1, though? From a Liberty point of view, they have swallowed this year, hoping, hoping against all hope, I think, and hoping incorrectly that 2021 is going to be better. I can't see the front end of 21 being better. Um, but they clearly seem to me to have a long-term commitment because if they were dying to get out of the sport, it would be very easy to start wrapping stuff up. It looks like there has been investment in making sure the sport continues. They, they seem to have absorbed that loss and made plans for the future. Yeah, I, I mean, and we saw that. Um, they undid their deal with Live Nation for cash. Essentially, what they did at the start of this was they put together enough operating cash to fully fund an entire season of Formula One without making a cent. And then they set about coming up with a plan to actually make enough money that they wouldn't have to spend all of it this year. And uh, they have done a remarkable job. It looks like they're going to hit, they've already, I believe, hit the um, the minimum for having an actual world championship, the number of races you have to run. Is it definite? And it looks, oh, right, okay. Is, is it, and it looks very yeah. definite that they will also get in enough races. Yeah. Uh, despite the rising uh, number of COVID cases, which is a, a separate thing in our notes, despite the rising numbers, it looks like they will get in enough races to also fulfill their TV contracts. And, and really for them, that's the lifesaver. It, nutting that out lets them keep the sport on an even keel. Everything else can be done with banks and loans and, and the usual stock market oof-oo-rah that they like to play. So, so Chris, is, is this calendar set? Because um, I never really caught a time where they said, no, no, this is set. This is all the races we're having now. Um, we have, obviously, the Turkish Grand Prix coming up. Very excited. And we've got Bahrain, Bahrain 2, and Abu Dhabi. That's four races left in the season. Now, is that is that is that set in stone? Well, of course, they're all, you know, subject to potential uh, rescheduling and uh, even cancellation. Um, we're seeing a lot of other racing events, sporting events in general being cancelled. Um, some, you know, as far ahead as uh, late January, early February, um, because because of the the issues with international travel at the moment. Um, so I wouldn't be at all surprised to to see it happen. Uh, but uh, I think it's kind of a, it's it's a last resort for them. Uh, in some other sports, there are teams saying we're just not going to bother with you know the final round of a, of the of this particular championship. Oh, really? But not in F one. Mm. Not in F one, mm. no. But in in some other series, yeah. So that's interesting. So I'm just looking at the driver table. Lewis Hamilton on 282 points, 
Valtteri Bottas on 197. So that is a gap of 85 points with 100 points available. Did, did I get those numbers right, Nick? You're looking skeptical. I know you're an accountant, man. I'm just laughing because uh, of all the memes about how 282 is greater than 270. No, 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 we're not doing that here. We're not doing that here. Uh, right, but um, so so Lewis Hamilton, in theory, he only has to be 75 points ahead at the end of the next race, if I'm reading that correctly. And that seems very, very possible. He just needs to avoid disaster. However, if he was to come down with a positive test of COVID-19, Matt, like it's very possible that he could miss a few races and then suddenly the last couple of races of the season are very interesting indeed. He has a disaster at Turkey. Bottas wins. He has a DNF. Uh, that reduces the gap down to... Uh, maths on the fly. 68 with 75 available and then gets a positive COVID test for the last three. I mean, that's that's a possibility as well, Nick. Well, there's 26 points available per race, right? Oh gosh! So yes. it'd be like 78. Yeah. So I mean, not to nitpick, but it could it could theoretically make a little difference. I mean, yeah, normally you'd think completely unassailable, but with a pandemic going around, there could be something that could happen that could prohibit a driver from from taking part. Well, since you mentioned a pandemic, I did go to the trouble of assembling the numbers from the FIA weekly reports, and I will just read them to you, starting from 31 July. Mm -hmm. One, one, which is a retest, zero, one, one, two, one, one, and then we get to Russia, 25 September, seven, ten, three, eight, eight, nine, eight. And so that that was the last week's uh, ending November 6th. And we've heard concurrently that Williams has reached a point with... um, where they're going to have to rotate some factory staff into their into their travel team to deal with um, that they've had an outbreak, basically. Oh, so it's okay when Matt just reads a string of numbers, but it's not okay when I do it. So I can see the chart that he's reading from in the show notes and just suffice it to say that the number of uh, positive Thank tests you. per week is <laughs> trending up and becoming a problem is the point that he was yeah. trying to make there. Yeah, and that's why I was mentioning, you know, the chances of uh, of a driver coming down with it, you know, it is, you know, these are young, fit, healthy uh, individuals that are driving. Uh, obviously, there's you know a significant risk still from COVID nineteen. Don't email me. Don't do the whole. Don't do it. it's just a flu. Don't just don't do it. You're not going to get a response from me. You're just shouting into thin air. You'll just have to do a Gmail filter that if it, if your email <laughs> contains the word flu, it just goes yeah, right yeah. to the trash. <laughs> so so obviously, like I'm talking about Lewis Hamilton, possibly like or any driver being affected by getting that diagnosis. I'm talking about that from a sporting point of view. I'm well aware there's a human element to that, um, to that as well. But the whole the whole well, world seems to be uh, trending up at the moment, so no surprise that those numbers are uh, going up in Formula One. Uh, Chris, we were talking about the the schedule. There were some changes to the F2 F3 schedule announced. Could you just tell us briefly because that does affect our weekend viewing? Yeah, absolutely. So Formula Two and Formula Three next season will no longer run on the same weekend. They'll all still run on a Formula One uh, Grand Prix weekend, but you won't get both at the same time. And this is uh, because they're trying to reduce costs, um, not just because of you know COVID. It's been a very difficult year for all the teams um, involved, but uh, you know generally 
bringing down the costs, it's it's always a good thing. So what they're going to be doing is uh, instead of having two races per weekend, they're going to be having three races per weekend and then having fewer actual race weekends. So you still get the same number of races during the season, but you don't have to travel to as many places, which works out as a, a big save. And so obviously there aren't space, you know, for, for six support uh, races between F2 and F3, and that's why they're running separately. Ah, thank you. That makes it worthwhile having you here, Chris. Chris Stevens at Chris on Racing on Twitter. And uh, what's your TikTok again? I forgot to plug it last Get time. Get out. Uh, what's your Instagram? It's the same as my uh, at Chris my on Twitter, Racing. At Chris on Racing. It's not so much a pro- professional oh. account. It's more if you just want to see like pictures of my cat. I do want to see pictures of your cat. So okay, go, go then. Go Chris on Racing on Instagram. I'm going to, and you should too. Chris on racing. He used to have underscores in his um in his handles, but we peer pressured him into changing it, which That's I both not what happened. I was happy, but also I lost respect for him forever. I changed career. I couldn't have Journo in my thing. Okay, maybe you didn't change it due to peer pressure, but you could have left one in there so as not to give the appearance that you gave in the peer pressure. You just handed him an easy win. Rules didn't have it available. The playground, Christopher Stevens. Chris, Chris underscore on underscore racing was already taken. Enough, enough mocking, Christopher. You know it's my favorite pastime. However, I want to point out that uh, Ryan Sedgwick has provided us with an answer I called for last weekend, Matt. I asked. Could we have a table of results if, and I understand these are massive hypotheticals, if we could take Lewis Hamilton out of the equation, forgive uh, Max Verstappen all of his DNFs, and then by association Valtteri Bottas, because I want to see a comparison between Max Verstappen and Valtteri Bottas, Valtteri Bottas, um, what would that table look like if the second Mercedes always finished behind um, behind Bottas as a wingman for Bottas. And Ryan Sedgwick, he did it. And? Ah, oh, good. I was waiting for you to indicate that your curiosity had been piqued. Now I can continue. So the initial results that he came up with were, and it was really interesting, he's given a breakdown for all of the Grand Prix and the changes he's made. And I will be putting these in a blog by Tuesday morning. A super promise. So search for MrApexPodcast.com uh, and we'll tweet it on all our social media. You are welcome to argue with all these individual points. But he had, in that scenario, Verstappen at 239 points and Valtteri Bottas at 258 points. So we're talking a 19-point gap. Now, a 19-point gap would make this a very interesting championship indeed. But I have to say, like a lot of people, Chris, are trying to would would try and make out that I'm saying that Lewis Hamilton is just magnificent, which I think he's pretty good, but that he doesn't have a car advantage. I know he has a car advantage. I'm just pointing to the very frustrating argument where people say, oh, it's 99% car and 1% driver. I really do think the driver has a much bigger input in into the success of a team than people give credit for. I believe that if, and this is why I ask people to do this, if Verstappen was up against a Mercedes led by Valtteri Bottas, the championship might look different. Yeah, 100% well. I mean, we talked earlier about how uh, the 2017-18 championships would be different if Lewis Hamilton wasn't driving a Mercedes. Sebastian Vettel would probably be at least a five-time world champion by now. Um, so I think it's absolutely valid to uh, consider the argument. 
Oh, it's a valid argument, but you know, I'm immediately, or not me, but some person on the internet will immediately make the kind of technical points that if there was no Hamilton and Valtteri was the lead driver for Mercedes, yeah, yeah, yeah. that there would be certain things about his finishing positions that would have been different to what actually occurred during the season. It is a fun discussion, though. No, it is definitely a fun discussion. I'm putting it out for a hypothetical. That was the point I was going to criticize about my own initial scenario, which is a Bottas-led team would have a card designed more to Valtteri Bottas. Um, however, I, I think this is a useful thought exercise. So when I put this up, get in touch. Tell me why you think the individual things we've changed are wrong, even with the point that Matt just illustrated there. And, and we can just have it as an ongoing discussion. Because at the moment, the gap between uh, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen in second place is 120 points. Yeah, and in our scenario, it's 19 points. So that's a big difference, 120 points to 19 points. Uh, obviously, the 120 points doesn't include DNFs. It's a good thought exercise. I'm looking forward to covering it. But why don't we talk about Turkey? The return of the Turkish Grand Prix on Sunday. We uh, have been doing our patron-only podcasts. Um, I missed the last one because uh, my my wife had a gig and I forgot about it. I got in a lot of trouble for that. Uh, but they've been a lot of fun to do. Obviously, on Friday at Imola, there was no Friday practice, so we didn't cover it then. Uh, but we will try and do a patron-only stream uh, the Friday afternoon after FP2. So if you want to get involved in that, become a patron. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. You can come and join us in the Slack group. Best forum for F1 on the internet, bar none. And you can get an ad-free feed as well and the satisfaction of supporting an independent podcast uh, content create a platform thing the ones that are supported survive the ones that don't die all right turkey what do we think nick you are relatively new to formula one um so you don't know the turkey hype i've heard of the turkey hype um i've seen some old highlights and it really looks like a cool track i've only ever heard good things and so i'm nothing but excited you know um the austin grand prix with all the right handers in a row yeah, just just that, but left-handers. No, oh, okay. no, no, no! It isn't. No, it isn't. It's so much better. It's tighter. It's got banking. It's that corner is whoa, amazing. Whoa, whoa. This is the family it... show. He said banking. Oh, sorry. Carry on. Oh, I, <laughs> I really was wondering. Um, <laughs> that corner is amazing, and I know he gets hooped to the turkey, but every single time he's tried to replicate it, it's been rubbish in comparison um sochi turn three it's just boring um and uh, it's it's not just that the rest of the track is so good it's fantastic undulations it's quick it's technical it's really catered to good racing in particular uh, i think this and sepang are tilka's best circuits and so i think we're definitely in for a treat was this one of the first tilka drones kind of it was before tilkadrome became a a thing a term here's my concern that uh quadruple left-hander it starts off uphill as well if i if i'm remembering rightly so it's got undulation and it's got that challenge of of of, uh just this relentless flow of corners what if these modern f1 cars with the most downforce ever and the best lap times ever what if they just end up being a jink to the left that's going to be a letdown 
it probably will be flat out, but it's still a, a big strain on the card, not least because of the forces, but also kind of extenuated because of the, the banking. I think it's still going to be a great TV spectacle as well. Two words, tire management, managing a tire through a turn that long, especially one that is susceptible to thermal degradation, is not a game for kids. It will absolutely sort out the um, older people from the younger people, because we don't say men and boys anymore, I suppose. Um, and, and, and excitingly, we know that, for, that Pirelli is bringing their hardest tires to this circuit, but we also know that the last time we went there, it was a multi-stop extravaganza. The pavement has been refreshed, not replaced, and it is well known that it eats Pirelli tires for breakfast so so with the force the energy that's put through the tires now we really don't have a great idea of what the pit stop strategy the best pit stop strategy is going to look like right now right there's not hype up the whole oh it's probably going to be a multi-stop that i'll yeah. believe it when i yeah. see it um but um not least you know the the track's really great for racing we have had one race here with drs back in 2011 it was the final race here drs yep. was way too long uh, back then so i hope that they've checked that and shortened it massively they've had a tendency to make the drs too long this year anyway and uh, so hopefully we can get that uh, sorted and probably a second drs on down the uh, the front straight as well is this going to be one of those ones as a tire eater where everyone is just absolutely crawling around on their outlap and qualifying? Are we going to get kind of like a Monza situation on our hands? Depends if you can overtake, Chris. What do you think? It, it, it won't be a Monza situation because they're not looking for slipstreams. You, you won't clear air. Okay. Good. Well, I'm looking forward to next weekend. Um, either way, uh, we will find out. There's been lots of hype about the Turkish Grand Prix coming back. People have been calling for it for ages and ages. And we will get an answer as to whether or not that was a good idea. I have fond memories and I hope those memories uh, are upheld, Matt. That's all. But when we've gone to these old school tracks, and I think we can sort of classify Turkey as an old school track. Actually, we've not really been disappointed there wasn't enough overtaking uh, Imola. We were expecting that. We were expecting nothing from Mugello and Portimao, and they produced entertaining races. Not saying Imola wasn't. So, you know, I'm optimistic. I just think that this season, uh, this era of F1, this crop of drivers, this generation of cars, it's not as boring as the, you know, as F1 Twitter has has attacked it for being. It we do have a habit of having really good races. We've had great great races this year. The championship yeah, it, battle has been boring. The races have not been. No, and a lot of that is down to how tight the midfield is, which I think we'll probably talk about on our patron-only pod. Paywall? No, not really. We just run out of time. Not, not, not really. <laughs> I mean, but, but it is tight. I mean, it's one point between three constructors with four races left. And the one tidbit that I will drop about that that is fascinating is that I've identified three drivers that are still on their second engine for the year. Who are they? Uh, Latifi, Giovinazzi, and Ocon. Well, all right. I don't massively care about any of them. I mean, they're the three worst drivers on the grid, Matt. Uh, they're all terrible, but you have to ask yourself, <laughs> given the DNFs associated with Ocon, does that make financial sense for Renault? I mean, are they trying to save money? Why is he still on a second engine? I, I'm not really sure. Anybody knows, 
please let us. Please, please get in touch. Answers on a postcard. Don't you say anything bad about my Nikki. <laughs> you're, you're okay. No, look, well, let's end on that. So you're oh. a, a Latifi apologist. I think, did I say that last time I was on the Stan. show? I was a bit of a, bit of a Latifi fan. No, well, tell me why. Tell me why I should be a Latifi fan. Because he's the nicest guy <laughs> in the world. Okay. And so lovely. Uh, and I think he tries really, really uh, hard. I know that sounds a little bit kind of... No, hang on, hang on, hang on. Descending. Uh, pop quiz, hotshot. If Latifi knocked over his uh, front jackman, what would his initial reaction be? Oh, man, is he okay? I'm no. so sorry. That was the right answer, Nick. That's what any decent person would say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Nick, Chris, Alexander, Chris just Nick Alexander at mistapex.com at Gmail. I think that, that's that, that's how email addresses work. Email Nick. Nick Alexander F1 at gmail.com and at Nick Alexander F1 on the places. Good. On the internets. Good. And Matt, you are at MattPT55 on Twitter. And yes, your wife is at Amanda Weaver Writes at a Weaver Writes. Right. Why am it's, I talking uh, about your wife? That's ridiculous. Okay. Unless her success helps you to continue podcasting and buy a Ferrari. Indeed, and that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, I need my wife to be incredibly successful so I can sit around in a small room and talk about F one all day long, which is what I'd really like to do. All right. And that's what we will continue to do. Patrons, we will see you on Friday for the patron-only stream. Uh, I'm trying to hook up something for the midweek element uh, of the show, but no promises. However, please do go and follow my panel on Twitter, particularly because we're Twittery kind of guys. At Chris on Racing, at Nick Alexander F1, at MattPT55, and you can follow me at Spanners Ready and the show at Mist Apex F1. We've got Facebook groups. You can be a patron at patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex. Most likely, we'll see you for the Turkish Grand Prix race review on Sunday, 8 p.m. Join us live wherever we see you next. Work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mist Apex. Conversation. Oh, no. Comment of the week. So, okay, I've clearly forgotten comment of the week, but you called it conversation of the week, so you are also partly to blame. So we can talk about whose fault it is more, but I think it's more your fault. Uh, I'm pretty sure that you're the one who didn't mention it first, thus putting it on me. Well, there's no Therefore, logic Therefore, entirely your fault. Okay, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make up for your mistake by playing the bumper. Comment of the week. And inviting you, Matt, to finally give us some candidates for comment of the week. I will, you know, and I will say, I will interrupt you by saying the chat room is delighted that you have <laughs> forgotten this. I've done They so, had missed you forgetting it. I've done so well this, this year. You have. And we had a special request from Jack Stell. He's a big fan of the podcast. And he's so much of a big fan that he got his stepdad into it. And guess what? It's his stepdad's 50th birthday. So we'd like to wish him a happy, happy. And at Jack's request, we will award him an honorary pony. <laughs> oh. As well. Oh, excellent. We can totally do that. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. 
Firstly, Jack, if your stepdad is 50, that means that you are depressingly young and we hate you because of jealousy and the fact that you still know joy and happiness. Secondly, Jack has done exactly the right thing. Please, please, please go and tell your friends if they're into F1. Say, look, we love this independent podcast. It keeps us company and and we like the things they do. And there's always someone to yell at and there's always someone to agree with. Um, Send them to www.mistapexpodcast.com. We'd really appreciate that. And also, just tweet it. Do a tweet, do a Facebook post. Yes, you might only have six or seven followers or even a hundred, but it helps. You know, everyone who does that, if they pick up one follower, it really makes our survivability as a project much more uh, viable. So please go and do that. But Jack can't win comment of the week for wishing his stepdad a happy birthday. Nope. And before we get to that, I Hammer Dude, thank you for the generous donation to Nick and Mine's Drink Kitty. Very much appreciated. Oh, and also John Cox sent me a tip jar donation to send out to all the people who organize our iRacing. So big shout out to Richard Molden, to Sam Watley, um, who does uh, all the sessions and setup. Richard Molden does all the administration and the registration and getting the drivers corralled. Steve Amy, who does the video, Chris and Chris. So this Chris and, and a different Chris, an entirely different Chris. Um, do the commentary for that as well. So search for Mr. Apex Motorsport on YouTube and you can catch that. John Cox bought all that production crew a beer, so I'll be forwarding beer money to all of you guys. And finally, Vermin's chucking into the swear jar on my behalf <laughs> in the comments. And now to the candidates. Ben A. Wow, Nick's mustache is pretty epic with a great mustache like that comes great responsibility. Well, there you go. You ready for that, Nick? You can't just wave that thing around without consideration. I hammered you. That people in Monaco are lazy. They haven't moved the last three episodes that Chris has been on. And that's a comment on his background for those of you who were just listening. Uh, Chris, you have that Monaco background simply to trigger me because you know that I dislike Monaco as an F1 event. And also, I took this photo. Okay. You've got a phone. Everyone can take a photo. It's not my not, point. I was in Monaco. I, I was working in okay. Monaco it during a race weekend. Like you're like a a prospector times photographer in Western times, and you're like, hey, check out my fancy camera device. Everyone has a camera, Chris. That was awkward, Matt. Um, Mark Greenhow. The worst part of Mercedes is that their employee of the month is just always Lewis Hamilton, and it makes Botas feel <laughs> a bit sad sometimes. That's quite funny. I Hammers had another one uh, that Nick should be arrested podcasting under the influence of a moustache. Love that. Michael Dieselhoff is in with the Marshals. Had loads of time to spot the Force India, by which he means Racing Point. It was just having a stroll. Oof, that's a pun. Oh, Nick's on. That could win. So, who's our winner, Matt? I think our winner has to be the once in future Mark Greenhow for the worst part of Mercedes is that their employee of the month is just always Lewis Hamilton and it makes Botas feel a bit sad sometimes. Comment of the week. Well done, Mark. Uh, we're going to get out of here. Thank you very much, Livestream, for, for joining us and keeping us company. Even though there's not even a race on or anything, you're still spending your Sunday night hanging out and chatting with us and that is a massive compliment we understand you have a choice of 4671 f1 podcasts to choose from and we are delighted that you choose missed apex podcast imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.